Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to your neighbor and say, you look really good today. Let me ask you a question. How can I be okay when everything's not okay? You ever wondered that question? How can I be okay when everything's not okay? I'm going to guess, and uh, I think I'll be right, that everybody's got some issues that you're dealing with, and we're going to talk about that this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your amazing grace that we've sung about. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for loving us. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here. I'm going to predict something about you with 100% accuracy. How many of you think I can do that? It won't be long that somebody or something will disappoint you this week and next week and the week after that because we live in an imperfect world and uh, things are going to disappoint us and there's not a person here that doesn't have problems. Rich people, poor people, educated people, people who have, uh, you know, different color skin than you, people who have a different education than you. Everybody's got issues, everybody's got problems because we live in a fallen world. And we pray about those issues and we pray about some of the things that we are tackling and things that are trying to tackle us. Uh, I want to tell you about a young boy who uh, wanted a new bicycle. He was really not much of a churchgoer because his family only went to church on Easter and Christmas and a few times in between, but they were very avid Christian television watchers. So he had picked a few things up from television, so he was going to pray for a new bicycle. And uh, his first prayer was very uh, traditional. He said, uh, Heavenly Father, if it be your will, I would like a new bike. I know that you're the sovereign God, the creator of all the universe. Nothing goes by you that you don't see. You're full of mercy and grace. I humbly ask you for a new bicycle. That morning he woke up, bounded down the stairs, and there was no new bicycle there. So he decided, I'm going to change up my prayer a little bit. And as you know, there's a lot of different things that you see on Christian television. So he changed his prayer to this. Jesus, I want a new bicycle. I confess it. I claim it. A silver bike with red stripes. And by the word of God, it will be there in the morning. So the next morning went downstairs and there was no bike there. So he thought, I'm going to have to change up my tactics. And coming home from school, he went by the Catholic church, and there in the courtyard, he picked up a little statuary of Mary, the mother of Jesus. That night said, he said, Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again, how about that bicycle? Well, there's a lot of different ways you can approach it. But this is what I know. Every one of us get disappointed, and sometimes we don't know why. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 12 says, People can never predict hard times and when hard times might come. Like a fish in a net or birds in a trap, people are caught by sudden tragedy. All of a sudden, your day's going well, and you get that phone call. Have you gotten it? You get that news, and all of a sudden you're devastated, and something happened that you didn't expect. And this last Wednesday, when I was uh, praying about this Sunday, and this thought came to me, how can I be okay when everything's not okay? And I've been there, haven't you? 
And maybe you're there today, and, and, and we'll see if this is of the Lord today when I finish, but I really feel like the Holy Spirit spoke to me, Mike, how can you be okay when everything's not okay? And, and I think sometimes we have to look at the Word of God to see how that happens, because guess what? In this world, things will never be okay, because we live in a world that's fallen. So I'm going to talk to you about a lady today, and she is called the Shunammite woman. And I'm not talking in tongues, it's the Shunammite woman. <laughs> So you may say, well, who is that? And if you've ever read uh, the Kings, uh, 2 Kings chapter 4, you're familiar with this woman. This woman is called a great woman. She's called the Shunammite because she lives in a city called Shunem. It's a little southwest of the Sea of Galilee, not too far from Nazareth. And this woman is called a great woman, a mighty woman. She's married to a man that's much older than her. But she lived in Shunem, and that town was a place where Elisha the prophet would pass through on his journey to other places. And as he passed through their little town, they would invite him to eat with them. So the couple would say, Elisha, you and your servant Gehazi, why don't you stop on your way through and have dinner with us? And they did that time and time and time again. And they perceived he was a man of God. So she said to her husband, why don't we build onto our home and build a little apartment for him and his servant? We'll put beds in there and we'll put some furniture and chairs and put some lamps and candles there. So when he travels through, he will have a nice place to stay. So they did. And so Elijah and his servant Gehazi, whenever they were in that area, they would stay in this little apartment. And one day Elisha said, this couple has been so good to us. What can we do for them? How, how can we repay them? Can we talk to the king for you? Can we talk to the commander of the army for you? And they said, no, we're fine. And then Gehazi said, you know what, Elisha, they have no children. And the man's older, and, you know, in the culture of that day and time, the Hebrew woman, they all wanted to have children. It was a little stigma for them back in that day not to have children. So Elisha went to the woman and said, about this time next year, you will be holding a baby boy in your arms. And let me tell you what the woman said to Elisha. And I've got it written here. She said, men of God, do not lie to your maidservant. And let me bring you up to 2019. Hey, don't mess with me. <laughs> don't give me false hope. Don't, don't say this to me if you're going to burst my bubble here because I've wanted a baby boy, you know, for all of my married life, but we couldn't have children. So you're telling me this time next year I'm going to be holding a little bouncy, uh, a lovely little boy on my lap. And Elisha said, next year you're going to have a, a baby boy. And so next year, guess what happened? She had that little boy. And that little boy began to grow and it began to get bigger and bigger. So good ending of the story, right? That's not how this story ends. So the little boy's growing. He's getting bigger. He's able to go out in the field with his dad. And one day during the harvest, he goes out with his dad with the reapers to gather the harvest. And the boy, something happened. He said, Dad, my head hurts. My head, my head, it's hurting. And so he told one of the employees, he said, take him back to his mother. And so the mother received the boy there in the home. And she put him up in her lap and laid his head on her bosom. And by noon, he was dead. Horrible. But she gathered him up and, and she put him in that prophet's apartment, that chamber, and laid him on Elisha's bed. And she said to one of the young men, said, saddle up one of the donkeys. We're going to go try to find him. I think he's at Mount Carmel. And, and they saddle up and they're riding. She says, don't slow down for me. Get me there as quick as I can. And so when she's coming to Mount Carmel, 
The Bible says Elisha the prophet sees her coming and he turns to Gehazi and says, Hey, I think that's the Shunammite woman. I, I believe that, that's her. Go greet her. Go out where she's at. And I want to pick it up, 2 Kings chapter 4, if you have your Bible, verse 25. So she departed, came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. And so it was when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to his servant Gehazi, Look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, and this is amazing, it is well. What an answer to a woman who's just had tragedy and death in her family. Many of you know uh, a song that we sing every once in a while. It's an old hymn. You ever heard the song, It Is Well? It's actually written by a guy who lived in Chicago. He was on business and he was going to travel to Europe and he was going to go with his wife and his daughters and as they traveled across the Atlantic, they were going to arrive to do business, but some business held him back. So he sent his wife and his family on ahead and somewhere in the Atlantic, a storm hit the ship and everyone was lost in his family. His wife and his family died in that shipwreck. Later, he went on to travel, and he wanted the captain in the ship that he was uh, riding in to show him the, the spot where his family died. Many of you know the story, and when they got there, the captain said to uh, Mr. Spafford, said, this is where your family died. And he sat down that day, and he wrote the hymn, when sea billows begin to roll, when that tragedy begins to hit, I'm able to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. You know where that, that, that line came from? It came from the Word of God. It came from the Shunammite woman when was asked, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your son? She was able to say, it is well. Do you realize how much faith it would take for someone to say that? In the middle of that tragedy, she said it as well. So what can we learn from this woman? I'm going to give you just three things very quickly about this. Number one, she didn't close the chapter. She didn't close the chapter. Now, sometimes we have to turn the page, but we don't close the chapter. Sometimes when things hit you and they hit me and they hit your life and my life, we want to say, okay, that's it. I'm done. It's over. But she turned the page, but she didn't close the chapter. The tragedy was not the end for her. She didn't know what the outcome would be, but she decided this is not going to be the end for me. She didn't accept death as a finality. Now, I realize that death is pretty final, but if you have a loved one, if you have been through a divorce or uh, an issue in your life, there is life beyond that. There, there's eternal life beyond that. Can I hear an amen? So she said, I, I'll turn the page on this, but I won't say this is the final chapter of my life. The second thing is she realized her source. She realized her source. She knew that this baby, this son was a gift from God. She understood that God was the one who gave her this boy. So guess what she's doing? She is hurrying back to her source. She got on that animal and she got with that servant and said, don't, don't spare, don't, don't slow down for me. I want to get to the man of God. And sometimes when tragedy happens, we have to go back to say, you know where my source is? My source is not other people. My source is not my money. My source is not my position. My source is God. How many of you know every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father? Amen. 
So he is our source. And the third thing, which I'd never seen this before until I really began to look at the story, she remained humble and worshipful throughout this entire disappointment and difficulty in her life. And I want you to see this. She's described as a great woman. She's described as a well-to-do woman here. I don't know what her position was in the community. I don't know how much money she had, but I know something about her. She had influence, she had power, she had wealth. I don't know about you, but I usually don't build apartments for somebody who's just passing through by my neighborhood. But she was able to. Her and her husband had the means to do that, to feed and to clothe and to provide a place of living. She was a very well-to-do, influential, powerful woman, but she doesn't come across as arrogant or rude or self-righteous through this whole story. And matter of fact, she doesn't come to Elijah after her son dies in bitterness and in anger. Did you catch it? She, throughout the story, is humbly falling before God in worship and humility. She does it two times. Number one, she does it before her son dies. And secondly, she does it after her son dies. And she does it in the sense that she's grateful for what God has done. Now, what happens to you and what happens to me when I'm disappointed? Let's ask a question. Has anybody been disappointed this week? Okay. How about this month? How about since the beginning of the year? Well, let's just hold up all of our hands and let's just not lie, okay? There's no way that you're going to get through life. There's no way you're going to get through your job, through your family, without some disappointment. People are going to disappoint you. There's going to be hurt. There's going to be pain, sickness, health issues, and even death. Now, the Apostle Paul says, what happens when you're faced with difficulties? So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to, we're going to end right here in this, this passage. So Philippians 4, Paul is writing to the, to the church at Philippi, and I want you to notice where he's writing from. He's writing from Rome and he's writing from prison. So if you say, well, yeah, Paul can write this because everything's great in his life. Uh, no, he's in prison. And how many of you know the prison that Paul was in is not like Stevens County Jail? Okay, somebody, you get that on the way home. And some of us will say, yeah, I kind of know what that's like on the inside. Y'all all right? Verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So it's easy to say, harder to do, right? But he says, be anxious for nothing. The word anxious here means to be troubled, to be overly concerned, divided thoughts, a, a divided mind, and, and certainly worry and anxiety can rob us from the life that God wants us to live. It can rob you, it can rob me. And, and we all have this propensity because of our fallen nature to worry. And worry really doesn't solve anything, but we still worry. I looked up some statistics, and I think they're pretty, uh, pretty accurate because I looked several places, and this is what the average person worries about. Um, 40% of our worries about things that will never happen. So most of your worries about things that will never happen. A 30% is worried about things in the past that can't be changed. So why are we worrying about things we can't change? Uh, 12% we're concerned about the criticism by other people, and most of that criticism, criticism is really not true. 10% uh, of our worries about our health. 
which worry and stress causes you to even be in worse health. Duh. And then only 8% is worry about real problems that we will eventually have to deal with. So, uh, you know, most of your worry is about things you can't do anything about. So why do we do that? Well, we do that because that's a propensity because of our fallen nature. So anxiety, worry, and Paul is writing this to the church. He says that you and I, we have this propensity to be anxious and to worry and to struggle with a lot of things in our life. Now, the word worry in the original language back in the early days when they begin to use the word worry, it meant to strangle. So why would they use the word strangle in connection with worry? Because worry strangles our joy. Worry strangles our peace. Worry can strangle our hopes and even our health and strangles our faith. So when worry comes in, it begins to choke us down. It begins to strangle us. Someone said, anxiety is the stream of fear that trickles through our mind. Isn't that a good line? Anxiety is a stream of fear that trickles through our minds. And sometimes we think things and we get so out of portion, it begins to strangle our life. I read about a a woman who for years and years had trouble going to sleep. And the reason she had trouble going to sleep because she would always hear something and she always thought somebody was downstairs in the house. She always thought that there was a burglar. And so for years she would wake up her husband at times and say, Honey, I think I hear somebody downstairs. And he would get up and go downstairs, check the house, check the windows, check the doors, come up and say, no, everything's okay, go to sleep, there's nobody here, no burglars. And this happened over and over and over again. She had trouble going to sleep, and he'd be up. And then one night, he heard a noise, and he went downstairs. And sure enough, there was a burglar there. And he said, I'm so happy to see you. (laughs) He said, I want to take you upstairs and introduce you to my wife. She's been looking for you for a long time. Well, sometimes we live that kind of life. We're looking for something to happen, and sometimes we're looking for things that really are not going to happen. So how can I be okay when things aren't okay? Well, here's what the Word of God says in Philippians 4, and he says, okay, you've got to tackle these issues with the Word. How many believe the Word helps us tackle our issues? So the two things he said, number one, he said we have to tackle these issues with prayer and supplication. Say that with me. Prayer and supplication. So most of us know what prayer is. We're asking God for his help. We're asking for some particular thing. Supplication, a little different because it's kind of a churchy word. It's hard to get your mind around the word supplication. It means to ask God for his favor and his grace. So you're not asking God for some particular thing. You're saying, God, help me get through this. Give me your favor, your grace, so I can get through it. So he says, number one, he says, you, you tackle this with prayer and supplication. So instead of worry, do something that's positive, pray about it, and then ask God for his help. The second thing he said is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Be appreciative of what's going right instead of always focusing on what's going wrong. And sometimes we're turned that way. It's being called a pessimist or someone who's negative. Do you know someone like that? Are you sitting close to them? No, just kidding. (laughs) That everything is always negative. It's always wrong. It's always uh, going to be wrong. So he, he says with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, be thankful for what you have instead of concentrating on what you don't have. 
And if we do that, he says it's going to help us. Be thankful, even though you have needs in your life, be thankful for what God is doing in your life. And then he says you'll have two results. The first one is this. He says the peace of God comes to you. He says it's the peace of God that passes all understanding. And I like to explain it this way. You have peace about something even though you don't know why you'd even have peace about it. Why do I have peace about this? I shouldn't have peace about it, but God gives me peace, and it's beyond my understanding. And the second thing, he says, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. Because if your heart and your mind is not guarded, then all those things begin to rush in. It fills your heart with insecurity and, and anxiousness and worry. And Paul says, okay, guard your mind, guard your heart with the peace of God, because if you pray and if you go into supplication, if you're thankful, it will keep those things. It will be a barrier, a guard for those things taking over your life. Now, Jesus addressed this in John chapter 16, verse 33. He says, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So Jesus didn't come with some false expectation here. He says, listen, you live in a fallen world, and in this world you're going to have trouble. How many of you found that out? How many of you have the perfect marriage? Okay, some of you are raising your hands and uh, um, you either hadn't been married long or you married an angel. And that's wonderful. Jesus did not come with false expectations for you or me. He said, in this world, you might have, I think you will, could be, no. What did he say? In this world, you are going to have some trouble and tribulation. But then in the flip side of that, he said, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So I am greater than the trouble you're going to have. And then that's what Paul does in this passage. So I want you to drop down, if you would, to verse 10. Now, how come Paul gets to the place he can advise us? Isn't that a good question? Paul, how did you get to the advisory position that you can advise me how to overcome anxiety and worry? Well, verse 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now in, uh, at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned, say that with me, for I have learned in whatever state I'm, that I am to be content. For I know how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere in all things. I have learned, say it with me, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound, suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Here's Paul's confession. I didn't start out this way. I had to what? Learn it. I had to learn it. It wasn't my natural makeup. Because my fallen nature wants to worry, be anxious. Uh, there's a lot of issues here. I, I encounter a lot of things. But I've had to learn, look at this, I had to learn that whatever state that I'm in, to be okay, even though things aren't okay. I had to learn that. And guess what? We have to learn it also. And he says, I can do all things, what? Through Christ, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, who strengthens me. Now, what Paul learned, he's sharing with us. Go back to verse 8. So what's he going to share with us? I'm glad you asked. 
Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things, meditate, think about these things. Verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So he's saying, this is what I've learned. Now I'm going to give you the keys. You learn it, and guess what? He says, the God of peace will be with you. Three observations. Number one, you have to change your way of thinking. You have to change your way of thinking. I have to change my way of thinking. Because my mind is fallen, I have to renew it, right? I have to renew my mind. This is Romans chapter 12. I have to prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. The way I do that, I have to renew my mind. And he says, you have to change your way of thinking. And once you change your way of thinking, you change your way of talking. Now, here's the deal. How many of you talk to yourself? Everybody talks to themselves. Have you ever pulled up beside someone and there's nobody in the car and people are talking to themselves? Now, sometimes they're talking on the phone. Sometimes they're not. They're just talking to themselves. How many of you have ever talked to yourself? How many of you ever said, well, that was stupid? <laughs> that was dumb. How many of you, whenever you hit your thumb with the hammer, said, boy, I'd like to redo that over again? I, I like the little boy. He was hanging around the, the preacher when he was building onto his back porch, and every day he'd come and watch the preacher work, and the preacher said, well, boy, why are you here every day? He said, I want to know what you say when you hit your thumb with the hammer. <laughs> so we talked to ourselves. We do it mostly internal. Mostly we talk to ourselves internal. And so if we think the right thoughts, we change our dialogue of how we talk to ourselves. And the first thing you need to change is how you talk to yourself. And once you change the way you think, the way you talk to yourself, it will change how you talk to other people too. And there's a lot of people that need a real change how they talk to other people. Um, I heard a story years ago. It's really not funny, but I like telling it. Um, they said there was a traveler through England many years ago, and, and they stopped at a pub and the name of the pub was George and the Dragon. And he went in for a little, you know, bite to eat. And this woman, rude and crude, threw the plate down and just dressed him down. And he said, ma'am, can, can, can I meet George now? <laughs> yeah, wait for it. If you change your way of thinking, you'll change your self-talk. And notice the third thing he says, not only will you have the peace of God, he says you will have the God of peace. Did you see how it changed? The first thing he says, you'll have the peace of God which passes all understanding. Then he says, not only will you have the peace of God that passes all understanding, now you will have the God of peace. So wherever you go, whatever you do, beyond your comprehension, even beyond your understanding, then the God of peace will be with you and you say, I can be okay even though things are not okay in my life. We've all had periods where we say, you know, I'm having a good week. I'm having a good month. But I'm going to guarantee there's one going to come along. You say, I'm not having a good week. I'm not having a good month. So we have to say, okay, God, what are you doing here? What you and I perceive sometimes as a setback, God is actually setting you up for something better. You see it as a setback, God has given you a setup. 
And I want you to see something here, and we're going to close with 14 things, and you don't have to write them down. You can get a copy of it as you leave today. At 12.30 last night, I'm in my recliner, Carrie's asleep, and I'm thinking about what I'm going to share with you today, and I thought, you know, what are some real action points, some things that we could actually leave this morning and do that would make our tomorrow better? And you can post these, that's fine, and you'll get a copy. And I've called this uh, Pastor Mike, hashtag pa Pastor Mike, how can I be okay when everything's not okay? You ready for these 14? Now, this is my list. And if you get to make the list up, you can put what you want on the list. Y'all all right? Here, here's the first one. Learn to live one day at a time. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to take care of itself. Just trust the Lord. Don't lean to your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and trust him, right? Number two, remember that most things in life and the most important things in life aren't things. Isn't that true? The most important things in life aren't things. Don't sweat the small stuff, and in light of eternity, most everything is just small stuff. Eat some chocolate. My list. Somebody should have just shouted then. Eat some chocolate. Realize you have 100 blessings for each one thing that goes wrong in your life. N name the, the wrong thing you have. I'll guarantee you can count 100 things that you're blessed with with that one thing. Quit worrying about the things and the people you can't control or change. You, you can't control them. You can't change them. Laugh. Laughter in a merry heart is medicine for the soul. Listen to a funny story, watch a funny TV program or a movie. Make sure it's wholesome, of course. Eat some more chocolate. No one's perfect except Jesus. So if you eat too much, uh, he'll forgive you. Go for a walk and get some exercise. Spend more time with family and friends. Help someone else this week and get your mind off yourself. Amen. Read aloud Psalms 23. Don't just read it. Read it out loud that you can hear it in your ears. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Give someone a compliment. Realize that God loves you more than you could ever, ever know. You see, you may be here today and you're actually trying to tune me out. Because sometimes when we hurt so much, we even have this inner dialogue. Pastor, I don't want to be okay when everything's not okay. That's fine. You, you, you can keep doing that. And I can keep doing that. But let me tell you, it's not going to be the, the kind of life that you want to live. It's true what Jesus said. In this world, you'll have tribulation and trouble. I mean, that's true. You can't whitewash it. You, you can't, you know, breaststroke it away. This is a reality. But you can find something that will work for you, and it's the Word of God and faith in God and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and my life to get us through those difficult times. And you're going to face those, and I'm going to face them. I have faced them. How can I be okay when things aren't okay? I have to trust the Lord and have faith in him, and I want to live the abundant life. Listen, you are given a life, and you can live that life any way you want it, but you can only do it one time. You can live life any way you want to live it, but you can only do it one time. 
So make the most of it. Make the best of it. And take the grace of God and the mercy of God and the faith of God and say, okay, this sounds like a horrible ending in time, but I'm going to turn the page and I'm not going to close the chapter. And it could be in your marriage, it could be in your family, there could have been a death, a tragedy, it could be your health, your job, your finances. But today, I want you to turn the page, don't stop on the chapter. Keep going, keep believing, keep trusting, keep going forward, and make sure you and I live a life that's pleasing to Almighty God. Can I finish the story? Of the Shunanite woman? Sounds like I'm talking in tongues, doesn't it? Not every day you get to say Shunamite. Well, she did get to Elisha. He said, How are you? How's your husband? How's the child? She said, It is well. And then she had this distress of soul that he could read in her life. And he said, What's wrong? And she said, My boy is dead. My boy's dead. And Elisha said to Gehazi, run to where he's at, take my staff, lay upon him, and maybe the Lord will raise him up again. And Gehazi did that. Elisha said, I'll be right behind you, but you go as fast as you can. Get there, lay my staff on the, on the child. And he laid the staff on the child, but nothing happened. And then later, Elisha arrived at that apartment, at that chamber where she had laid her son. And when he got there, he laid his body over the body of that boy. And after he had asked God to restore life to that lifeless body, the boy sneezed seven times and came back to life. It wasn't the end of the chapter. They just turned the page. I'd like to say every, every story ended that way, but I know it does not. I'd like to say every difficulty, every challenge ends that way, but it does not. But this is what I know. One day God will make everything right. I, I love when I read the end of Revelation as you get to the second to the last chapter John said I saw New Jerusalem coming down like a bride adorned for her husband and there he saw this wonderful revelation of this relationship between God and his people and God began to speak and he said behold I make all things new he said they will be my people and I will be their God there will be no more tears there will be no sickness no more death no more dying he said I will make everything right at the end but until then you got to try to be okay when everything's not okay. And the way you do that is you trust God and you put your faith in God and you get up and you keep going and you take another step and another step and another step when you don't want to take the step. Have you been there? I've been there. And maybe you're there today and I'm here to tell you today and I don't know why I'm saying this. God knew who would be here. This happened Wednesday and I said, God, we'll see if this is you or this is all me. But this is what I believe. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I have struggled. I've been disappointed. My fears have risen. My anxiety is high. I'm here to tell you, do not close the chapter on your life or what you're expecting from God. Just turn the page and keep reading about the mercy and the grace of Almighty God. Because he loves you more than you could ever, ever imagine. You can live your life any way you want to live it. But you only have one of them to live. 
So today decide, even when things aren't okay, God, I choose to be okay. I choose to get up and say, I trust you. I don't understand it all, but I trust you. The Bible says the things are written before were written for our learning. There's a reason this story of the Shunammite woman is in the Bible. It's a woman who said, you know what? I'm just going to keep on believing. Maybe God has something more that I don't see. And guess what? I believe that for you. And I believe that for me. I want you to bow your head with me. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you were encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.